0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Blue Economy podcast. I'm your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet. I'm the CEO of Ocean STL Consulting, and I was the former deputy administrator of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Assistant Secretary of Commerce, and before that, the oceanographer of the Navy. We are a monthly offering by the American Shoreline Podcast Network and brought to you by Coastal News Today. The American Blue Economy podcast brings together leading voices in the ocean, coastal, and Great Lakes-based economies to expand awareness and collaboration, identify positive solutions to address the many challenges to the ocean economy, such as conflicting uses and climate change, and provide thought leadership to support our post-pandemic national recovery. Today's show is an encore episode, if you will. Of a small mini series I held on leading women wave makers in the American blue economy. And I had originally set out just to do it three of these, and I had such a positive response that I decided to add this fourth one, and, uh, and it's a real treat. Now, recall I borrow from the name of the Wave Makers podcast on American Shoreline Podcast Network by Tamara Khan. And if you're not listening to Tamara's Wave Maker show, please sure to check it out. It's great, and she's great too. And before we begin, I'd like our listeners to know that our media team at Coastal News Today is looking for sponsors. So if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, contact Tyler Buckingham. He's at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com, or you can go to coastalnewstoday.com advertising. So I'm delighted to introduce our guests who are blue economy leaders at universities in three geographic areas of the country. So first off, starting in the south, we have Dr. Layla Hamdan. She is the Interim Associate Vice President for Research and is also a professor at the University of Southern Mississippi. Thanks for joining us, Layla.
1: Thanks, Tim. I'm excited to be included in this conversation.
0: Yeah, you bet. And next up, we also have Amy Kakulia. She is a principal investigator and underwater roboticist an expedition leader at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, or HUI. Uh, Amy, thanks for being here. It's great to reconnect with you.
2: Hi, Tim. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Thank you.
0: Cool. All right. And last but not least, we have from my alma mater, Scripps Institution of Oceanography, Vanessa Scott. And she is the director of corporate affiliates, business development, industry outreach, and innovation at Scripps, as well as the director of the Start Blue Accelerator, and, uh, and, and that is all associated with UC San Diego. Welcome to the show, Vanessa.
3: Thank you, Admiral Gallaudet. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be here, especially among this group of incredible women leaders. So in the blue economy space, I'm so very excited.
0: Well, that is so true. That is so, I am excited too. And uh, yeah, well, let's just go and dive in. And Layla, uh, you know, I had spent a lot of time on the Gulf Coast and I know many of your colleagues, but don't should tell our, our audience about the University of Southern Mississippi and your, jo- your job, and as an as a associate vice president for research.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, so since July, I've been um, in, the new, in a new role as the, as the associate vice president for research for coastal operations at USM, and uh, this role, in a nutshell, is to help champion. Um, some of our research initiatives across all of our uh, coastal locations, and since you've you've been in this area and you've visited us uh, quite a bit, um, you know that Mississippi has a small but a pretty mighty coastline uh, that spans uh, uh, three counties, and we have uh, research operations in coastal and marine. Um, areas of interest in all uh, three of those uh, counties. Um, and I can tell you a little bit about, you know, just our, our geography as we as we move across the coast, starting from our, our easternmost location, uh, where I'm currently sitting uh, this morning is the uh, Gulf Coast Research Lab. Um, this is a place that has 75 years of history, providing um, the state of Mississippi, but also the nation with knowledge about gulf fisheries resources primarily, Uh, but in more modern times, we expanded to um, the technology and innovation in aquaculture, particularly in marine aquaculture, um, as well as a lot of innovation in marine education to the public. Um, A place that I think I first met you was at the Roger F. Wicker Ocean Enterprise Facility in Gulfport. Um, If you recall, a couple of years ago, (laughs) we stood out... um, Right at the at the quay um, at at the port of Gulfport on a very chilly um, November morning when we were breaking the ground on that uh, particular facility. That's right. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to have you back uh, for a visit. You know, we're we're getting ready to open the doors of the facility um, a couple of years later, and uh, no small feat during you know times of COVID that we've been able to keep the construction of that building. Um, going and going on schedule and, and it's just a it's, a it's a gorgeous physical piece of infrastructure that sits right at the port of Gulfport um, and aside from just being a really nice building this is going to be our r and d center for partnerships focused on uncrewed marine um, systems as well as blue tech innovations and uh, we also are going to have our uh, large vessel operations that are, are located there. Um, and then last but not least, moving, you know, furthest to the West, we have a large footprint of scientists and research centers that are embedded at NASA's Stennis Space Center. Um, and one of the highlights of what we have going on at, at Stennis Space Center is our hydrographic science research center. And, and so, you know, we've got uh, this this wonderful activity of, of research along the coast, and I'm now in this new administrative position um, which doesn't sound very fun um, being an administrator, you know, since I have a, a, a long background in doing uh, uh, research, especially uh, at Sea Research. Uh, but it's, it's actually turned out to be pretty fun because I get to maintain um, conversations and a lot of excitement about basic and applied research um, that we do here. And I get to talk shop with our scientists all day. So it's been really fun so far.
0: Well, exactly, Layla. And I think it's, you know, congratulations, by the way, on that step up, but now, now you have a chance to, to help them and shape the future and lead. And so you're right. It's, it's a delight to have that privilege. And uh, that's why I, I decided to stay in and take those, those opportunities too. And for our listeners, this is something neat. So the, of the locations you mentioned, this Roger F. Wicker Center the focus on uncrewed systems. In the port of Gulfport, is um is, is there's connections to previous episodes here because I had a a few other um, leading women wave makers from these companies that I work with. One is Linker, an environmental services company, and the other is IxBlue, and that is a they, they manufacture an uncrewed surface vessel, and both are teaming right now to work with NOAA, and they've already pr- applied r- supplied two of these uh, their uncrewed surface vessels called Drix to uh to Noah and I I see them working probably having a, a significant interaction with uh the Roger Ricker, Wicker Center Layla so I, yes I'd hope to go to that uh, that opening ceremony ribbon cutting or whatever it is let me know absolutely cool cool. Well, hey, uh, all right. We'll we'll definitely talk more about all that. And um, but let's go ahead and, and move on to Amy Kukulia. Tell us about your everything you do at, at Woods Hole. I, I've known you for a few years and two, and um, and I was just delighted to even come up with the idea of having you on, and especially having you say yes. So just a quick overview, and then we'll dive into some details.
2: Yeah, uh, sure. Thanks, Tim. Um, so I yeah I've been at the Woods Hole Geographic. Institution, uh, I think I'm in my 21st year, um, and wow. you know, I cast, yeah, I know it. Time, time flies. It didn't have the intention of sticking around as a castaway, but
1: uh, <laughs> well put. Just,
2: yeah, if if you haven't been to the woods, the tiny village of Witzel, it's it's a kind of a special place. And if if you like science and technology and the nexus of the two, um, I can't think of a better place to be. So um, I got sucked in and. You know, it's Woods Hole's. The, it's a large place, um, but it's also kind of a small town appeal. So, I I found myself being uh, of an entrepreneurial type who can find uh, lots of opportunity to to make new collaborations and to innovate quite rapidly in Woods Hole because it's surrounded by at least a dozen different science entities and nestled in that that little village. Um, so, you know, you walk around and you're just inspired, uh, by everything around you. And so I, I ended up there, you know, fresh, like pretty, pretty soon after college. And I was into, you know, really interested in plankton ecology research. And I, I had never, um, I had never been exposed to like engineering before and, and robotics, so I didn't I didn't know like how quickly I was going to get um, you know sucked into um, some of the really cool things that had been happening behind the scenes that most people didn't get a chance to see. So you know within that I I spent a couple years like growing out large like fifty gallon car wall tubes of plankton and studying shellfish disease and I was a worker for a scientist a biologist at the time. Who was a bit of a tinkerer and he just, he sent me to Antarctica, you know, within my first year working. Um, and then, you know, that just blew my mind, that experience in itself and there in real time. So this is pretty classic, Woods Hole, like learning, like on the job. Um, I was thrown into trying to figure out how to operate this ROV sea rover, um, which didn't have much of a a manual at the time uh, to operate underneath the sea ice to understand the overwintering pattern of, of or krill. Um, and then in that moment, I, I just got, I, I fell in love with robotics and I decided to forge a path. And this is again, like you could find a way of creating your own path and lay down your own brick and and future at a place like, like Woods Hole and started to develop science applications for underwater robots. And, you know, the rest, is, is history, but that's, you know, kind of an overview of finding my inspiration by just arriving, you know, on the shorelines of, of Cape Cod, um, and being immersed in the culture.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I do love it up there, uh, Amy, it's just so charming and, and, and the science and all the science that has been accomplished at Woods Hole. And for our listeners, I think most people would probably know that Woods Hole is in Massachusetts near Cape Cod, as you mentioned, and um, well, great. Yeah, there's a I, I'm excited to talk to you about your robotics work, of course, uh, as I kind of as I mentioned with uh, the uncrewed systems work uh, at, at University of Southern Mississippi's uh, Roger Wicker Center that Layla mentioned. And um, and then there's even some of that I know going on moving west in at Scripps. Um, but uh, so but Vanessa, um, I, you don't necessarily have to anchor on anything like that, but uh, but there's a big blue economy push I know that Scripps has made, and you're really the, the quarterback of it. <laughs> so I'd love to hear about your position at Scripps, if you don't mind sharing that with us.
3: Thank you. I'm yeah, I would love to. Um, so uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Scripps, um, Scripps is actually part of UC San Diego. Um, so it's great. We get to work with a lot of other departments um, and work closely with the uh, business school and entrepreneurship school. So it really provides a lot of opportunities for um Uh, interdisciplinary growth, uh, which I think is one of the the strengths that helps us really move the, the ball forward with the blue economy initiatives, um, and Scripps leads research in, in many different, uh, Places and areas, including the polar regions, climate change impacts and adaptation, resilience to hazards, conservation, biodiversity, oceans and human health, national security, innovative technology. So lots of different things um, that our focus spans and my role within that is to really uh, kind of be the liaison externally to connect our scientists and students to companies in the blue economy for research collaboration talent recruitment, kind of increased visibility, and also to support the innovation and commercialization uh, of the technologies that are coming out of Scripps uh, and support Scripps spin-out startup companies, um, which hopefully will help advance the, not just the regional blue economy, but you know, the blue economy as a whole. So and I do this by overseeing several programs, uh, including the Scripps Corporate Alliance, which is a group of companies that kind of span the blue company, uh, blue economy that collaborate with Scripps. Uh, and also, um, you mentioned earlier, this new Start Blue Accelerator, which is uh, in partnership with Rady School of Management to help support and accelerate early stage ocean focused startups uh, in the San Diego region. So a uh, great place to be. Really exciting projects. And yeah. Um, just really excited about all the opportunities in the blue economy that have come come forward.
0: That's wonderful, Vanessa. Thank you. In fact, forgive me. I think I introduced you incorrectly as the director of corporate affiliates, and it's the corporate alliance. Isn't is that the right term?
3: Uh, yeah, same, both. So Scripps Corporate Alliance, but the corporate affiliates program. It's it's kind of interchangeable. It's kind of more the moniker that that uh, programs across the country use. Uh, corporate affiliates. <laughs>
0: Okay. Okay. All right. We get it. We know what you do and that's awesome. And I I definitely want to talk about some of those companies you work with too. Um, But there's some neat topics that we could all cover. There's so many actually. Uh, All your universities and research institutions are just doing so much good work. Um, And it's kind of hard to pick where to begin, but I'm going to go back to Layla because I have a real interest in your uh, microbiology work uh, and research, which um, you have accomplished quite a bit. Now, do you Do you still oversee your Hamdan lab or is is that being under someone else's direct directorship now?
1: I'm so excited to talk about microbiology. Thanks for, you know, for giving me the, the, uh, you know, the place to do that. Um, I do still um, run the lab. I just um, last week had, uh, was out offshore doing some of the work that, that my lab does. And um, it's something that I want to try to keep maintaining for as, as long as I can, you know, while balancing, you know, more administrative activities, and I do have the the knowledge that I will eventually have to hand that off to, you know, someone else to, you know, to be more part of the day to day activities, and and I do have, you know, staff in place to be able to do that uh, now, but for for me to be able to continue, you know, to do the the work that I love the most, you know, understanding these invisible. But impactful entities in in our marine environments, I I will have to, you know, continue to evolve my skills of of delegation in in that area. Uh, but yeah, we still have quite a few active research programs, uh, you know, focused on marine microbial ecology and the research that we do. Um, because of the background that I have as a scientist, you know, starting my career with the Naval Research Lab, um, you know, for, for about a dec for about a decade is that, uh, you know, I, I came out of, I came out of university into an applied research setting where, you know, you couldn't just hatch a research idea just for the sake of, um, knowing a thing or, or doing basic research. We always had to be very mission focused, you know, how, you know how how can this idea benefit the nation how can it benefit the navy and that um that you know fingerprint on the early part of my career has carried into all of the days of my career and it is something that i you know try to share with my students as well you know it's not just about you know test the hypothesis but what is the greater meaning of that hypothesis and how can we use that information about microorganisms to help us understand the oceans and the coast and build sensors and, and build, um, build out concepts that allow us to know these places a lot better.
0: Right. I, I got to ask what, what, did you do? What, what, what was the Navy's interest in microbiology?
1: Um, so I worked um, in the uh, marine biogeochemistry section um, in, in at, the, at NRL in, in DC, and you know oh, okay. I yeah I and I guess I can say pretty frankly that um, the Navy is not necessarily interested in microbiology, but what I was able to do um, there and still with my work is to convince others that. Um, microorganisms can tell you a lot about problems that you already have and are seeking answers to, um, but also maybe even about problems you don't know about. And um, the reason for that is microbes have been in the ocean um, for as long as the ocean has existed. They're the you know the earliest organisms that have evolved on Earth. And because of that, they have evolved with every single change that, um, you know, planetary processes have thrown at them, but also that humans have thrown at them. And so if you, if you tune your analytical ears to what microbes are seeing and what they're doing in the environment, they can tell you about, um, the chemistry around them. They can tell you about physical properties around them. And in some of our works, we've we've used that that concept to try to develop sensing technologies. Um, one big part of our research is studying shipwrecks, um, which is a really cool thing to work on. And you know, as uh, you know, when I was in graduate school, I would have never predicted that my work would be. Not just offshore, but in deep sea environments and also connected to shipwrecks. Like, if you told me that, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Uh, but that's where our work is now. And we look at shipwrecks as, um, as proxies for understanding the built environment in the ocean and how, you know, the progressive addition of stuff to the ocean is potentially changing. The biology, you know, on on small and large scales, and that you know that's very, um, it's very theoretical. It's very ecological. It's very ivory tower as a standalone concept. But if we can start associating specific microbes with specific types of shipwrecks, hull materials, um, size, orientation on the seafloor. Um, and you take that a few steps further. Now you have a sensor technology for um, what's out there. How close is what's out there? Um, what is what's out there made of? And so we've worked with both NOAA as well as DARPA on on developing and refining those concepts into applications.
0: Well, I have such a I'm a passion about shipwrecks. Everything about the, the not only the ecology, and I work with. Amy, one of your colleagues, Kirsten Meyer Kaiser, she w- she calls herself basically a shipwreck ecologist. So uh, along the lines of what you're doing, but not, not with a focus of microbiology, Layla. And then uh, just yesterday I was in the Mallows Bay National Marine Sanctuary with a special forces veterans group that I profiled on an earlier episode called Force Blue. And we were actually diving in the sanctuary to do a seagrass survey. And, um, and this, so the shipwrecks are central to that. Um, love all these topics. I can't, t- I could can just go on and on about them. But, um, but interesting, what I found inter- most interesting about your field, Layla, is um, when I was at NOAA and I realized that we were applying these next generation gene sequencing advances uh, in, in the, in the study of e- ecosystems and actually, and in, in fisheries monitoring and management, especially through the use of environmental DNA. I, I, I just saw how the power of microbiology in, in assessing, uh, ecosystems and fisheries writ large, you know, big, big scale blue economy systems, if you will. But like you said, these, these small organisms are such incredible indicators. If you do the science, right, which, which you clearly have done throughout your career. So I just think it's great. Um, I, I'm going to, going to kind of go off riff on that a bit because I know you've also done studies of oil spills and I wanted to, um, so, kind of connecting, well, actually, let's go to yellow spills in a second. I, I, t- I mentioned eDNA. And one of the things I, I also did at NOAA, besides advancing a, a thing called the an omics strategic plan, omics refers to this microbiology big data field, including um, transcriptomics and metabolomics and, um, and genomics and all that. But uh, an eDNA is a part of it. But, but it was also integrating uncrewed systems with eDNA sensors. And we had this thing called the the eAUV. i U V. I'm curious, Amy at Woods Hole and a roboticist. Did you do any work with EDA sensors on your uh, on, on the AUVs you've worked with?
2: Yeah, uh, Tim. Great, great question. Um, you know, ab- about a year and a half ago, I stood up um, a new lab at Hui called Cybotics, and one of the things that I um, wanted to do was to think about all the different sensor technologies out there in vehicles and how so many sensors are sort of not vehicle agnostic or designed for one platform.
0: Mm, So
2: yeah, one thing, um, and there's a lot of things, especially bringing up oil spills and, and I I know you're going to get back to that in a second, but I got involved in eDNA because of oil spill, uh, technology development and, you know, I, I, I find funding and really interesting projects by following along current events and and what scientists are interested in. And eDNA is a big big buzzword now. And we developed a water gulper system for oil spill um, sampling and response. And that pump system was was developed into an eDNA sampler that's gone on a bunch of different robots at Hui. Um, and I wow, think, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, and I, you know, I haven't. One of the, I mean, my role, I like, I've kind of changed paths a little bit to like be an enabler and like help to come up with new ideas and make technology more accessible to scientists by leveraging investments, like in mil- for military funding, you know, over the years. Um, so this is just that's one example of you know being able to to use uh, some concepts and come up with um, you know off the shelf parts and commercially available available systems and modify them and then tell scientists, you know, what's possible and not just hand them, you know, a sensor for one specific purpose, one specific vehicle, but a roadmap for, you know, where it can go. So um, there's a whole, you know, bunch of different scientists now developing on that particular concept where we just created that foundation. Um, And just yesterday, um, there was a one-year anniversary celebration at HUI for the stand-up of, of its newest building, which is the David Center for Ocean Innovation. Um, and there's there's so much to talk about about that building, but it's it's a collision space. So, uh, you know, eDNA was like one of the buzzwords that was popping up here and there. And just meeting a couple even new scientists within its whole community, you know, we already have ideas on new proposals to put together to further develop um, that sensing capability to do real-time analysis which is you know no small feat so from a roboticist standpoint we're looking at you know not just how to collect the data and good quality data but how to process it in real time to make informed decisions before you get the robots back
0: absolutely yeah well it's great to hear about all this I, I i'm gonna have to get back up there it's been a while um so thank thank you for that uh i you're when you when you touched on oil spills um it reminded me, Vanessa, at Scripps of something I remember reading about recently, and I'm not sure if you know about it or can comment, but uh, I know it was a big deal where um, there was there was some, the government and the Navy probably had dumped, um, what was it barrels of DDT in the Southern California Bight? And, and the researchers at Scripps were trying to characterize if, it, if there was any um, seepage from them. Do you know about that?
3: I do. Yes. That's... Um... It's an incredible finding. And actually, um, I know it was built upon some work that had been done previously, I believe at UC Santa Barbara. Our researchers um, did a lot of surveying uh, of the seafloor to basically determine and quantify the amount of DDT barrels that were dumped. And it actually, it's pretty near and dear to my heart, too, because it's right off the coast of where I grew up in Los Angeles, off Palos Verdes, That's right. Uh, in between Palos Verdes and Catalina Island, which I know is a, a place that I actually did my science diver program at Scripps. Uh, so oh. right in between there um, is where they've located these barrels, and uh, we just received significant funding to continue the studies to characterize, to your point, uh, the, the site and do more research on what is actually going on down there and uh, which hopefully can potentially inform bioremediation efforts.
0: Um, Well, so with with your it's great that you have a personal connection there. And so you're obviously interested in following it. Does does, do you have any corporate partners that are helping with that right now in, in your kind of main day job?
3: Um, that's a great question. I mean, it's, it's a very large effort. Um, I know that, you know, our labs that are working on this, uh, do have, uh, collaborations with companies. Um, so yes. And, and also, you know, uh, our labs have their own, uh, underwater like AVs, um, uh, equipment and, uh, that are using the, the different technologies that they've created in their labs, um, to do this research.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just great that Scripps is showing such leadership in that area. I mean, there's a big, and you you probably know this, and you please comment on it, if you will, about this, this blue tech cluster that exists in SoCal. And I, I know, yeah, what can you say about that?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, so there is a huge Blue Tech cluster in uh, San Diego. Um, and a lot of it is associated with the Regional Industry Association, TMA Blue Tech, of which I'm on the board of directors. Um, and that was started uh, 15 years ago um, by Michael Jones and uh, has continuously grown um, the space. So regionally based, but internationally connected with clusters uh, of Blue Tech and Blue Economy industries across the world. I know in Portugal and France and Canada. Um, So that is uh, one of the key kind of stakeholders in the blue economy and and really uh, helps build the collaboration um, between the blue tech companies regionally and nationally and internationally. Um, Again, we have the Scripps Corporate Alliance as well, which is a a, a company, a, a cohort of companies. We have about 35 now that span different sectors in the blue economy as well that collaborate very closely with Scripps. Uh, we also have a lot of other regional partners that we work with, including I know you're familiar with the U.S. Coast Guard Blue Tech Center of Expertise, which is housed at Scripps uh, when, when we did that uh, webinar early on in the days of the pandemic, <laughs> which seems like decades ago now. Uh, and then we also have other you know, regional partners like Sea Grant, uh, some of the other universities in the area, um, you know the NDIA, National Defense Industry Association, SDMAC. Um, Yeah, that we all kind of work closely together um, to really, uh, my my job and role is to let them know about the different research priorities and innovations at Scripps and uh, facilitate conversations with our faculty and students for uh, deeper collaborations.
0: What a great job you have. I I know all those organizations really well, so that's just awesome. And I mean, on this topic of blue clusters and partnerships with universities, I I know um, Layla at University of Southern Mississippi that's happening in a big way. Uh, uh, and and the Roger Wicker Center is really the kind of nexus, I guess, of of so much of it. Do do you want to share anything that you're aware of or you want to just point to our listeners about?
1: Yeah. Um, along with the uh, Roger F. Wicker Center for Ocean Enterprise, we also about a year ago launched the Gulf Blue Initiative. Um, this is a, a regional partnership that we have, uh, in South Mississippi to, uh, you know, to help develop innovative technology um, to support new opportunities in the blue economy that go um, beyond the traditional blue economies that we have in the state of Mississippi, you know, we've always been known for the, you know, incredible and abundant fisheries that we have. And, and that's been, you know, a large focus uh, historically of the blue economy of Mississippi, along with uh, tourism, with our, you know, lovely sandy beaches. Uh, but there's so much more that um, that Mississippi can offer to developing um, innovative technologies in uncrewed systems, uh, but also with, um, with uh, precision aquaculture uh, techniques and, and aquaculture that moves you know outside of uh, laboratory or terrestrial settings and, and into the, the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, we, we've been working with, um, with federal agencies, uh NOAA being one of the the ones in particular that has has helped us um, you know move more into this um, uncrewed systems uh, testing um, verification and development space. Uh, but we're also working with a lot of companies as well to bring them into Mississippi and uh, you know help them um, train our workforce here in in a you know in in high. High-paying jobs in the blue economy again that move um, our residents outside of just the fisheries and the and the tourism space, uh, but also we have this wonderful access, um, twelve months of the year to the Gulf of Mexico. You know, it's 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 hard to get weathered out of the Gulf unless, of course, there's a you know a hurricane uh, impending. You know, we we have. You know, a moderate climate, we have immediate access to deep water, and this really opens up opportunities for companies to come into the state and uh, move into the coastal region locally and really, um, you know, push the envelope on, um, on those uncrewed systems. Um, but also, another area that we're spending a lot of time and emphasis, both at the Center for Ocean Enterprise and in Gulf Blue um, is data. Um, so, you know, we have these, these great, uh, uncrewed systems that are able to, uh, you know, be out in the water, um, 24 seven collecting mountains and mountains of new data. And that's wonderful. And, and that's, you know, some of the work that, um, that your other two guests, you know, talked about, um, Amy with the, um, the you know, this, this system that's gulping water, and it's, you know, collecting all of this information about water, but there are limits to what we can do with the data that comes uh, from these new systems. So we have to constantly stay out in front of that and figure out ways to handle the data, make it accessible, uh, make it reliable, and make it useful for multiple purposes. And so that um, that also is a great uh, area of emphasis that we have with our blue technology um, and blue economy development that we have down here.
0: Wow, that was a lot. And, and I'm going to try to uh, connect some of it. This, this is great. I'm, this topic excites me so much because, you know, I, I, I launched NOAA's uncrewed System program and got Senator Wicker to help us get a new, new budget line for that uh, when I was with the agency in 2019 and 2020. And so it's a nice thread here, by the way, I, you, you're talking about the uncrewed systems work at University of Southern Mississippi, Layla. Amy is doing the same with her robotics and autonomous underwater vehicle work. And and then, of course, uh, Vanessa didn't touch on it, but I, I am very aware of what's going on at Scripps because my classmate, Eric Terrell, my classmate at Scripps for the PhD program has got a center doing all that kind of work with AUVs and uh he's just a fantastic leader in this area so it's uh i love seeing the connections on the data side um it's interesting i did write an an op-ed in the hill with a, a colleague of mine tim jansen at so far ocean about something about the title was like the us needs open ocean data to avoid an innovation wipeout and i just talked about the tsunami of data that you just articulated layla which is occurring and, and there's, there's you know, ways to address it. And um, standardization is one. And you touched on it, Amy, about having standardized sensors. In fact, uh, this company that Tim Jansen, my co-author on the article, wrote is it, called SoFar Ocean. And they work with DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, to develop a thing called Bristle Mouth, which is basically a USB for ocean sensors that you can you know, to take a buoy and you can incorporate this sort of interface for almost any sensor that was the goal of it um, so great concepts uh i love to talk all this tech and um but um i guess to sort of narrow things a, a little bit um i want to i want to go back to you amy if you don't mind um, on the on this whole idea of, of different data types and, and your robotics you have some great examples you know we're, we're kind of talking high level right now but can you just maybe share some of the neat work you've done, like with the Turtle Cam and shard Cam?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Um, so, uh, and interestingly enough, like the root of that cam technology came from foundation work with the the military. Um oh. So I, I don't know, you know, if you if you knew that or not, but it's back in the mid two thousands or so. Um, the lab I was in working with Remus AUVs. Yeah. Um yeah, it was was funded to develop, well, the concept anyway for an autonomous RIB um that had an AUV on it. And so you're kind of getting rid of the big ship and having multiple people on board operating these robots and pushing the envelope of autonomy. And the RIB would launch the AUV and then there'd be a transducer um coupled with the the bow and the AUV would just follow along underwater. As the autonomous rib was surveying the surface, so that the AUV would interrogate the transponder and know where it was um, relative to that boat, but it couldn't calculate it, the depth um, that it was at or that it needed to be at. Um, so one of the things that we, when we were approached by um, some scientists who wanted to understand fine-scale resolution of mega fauna like sharks and sea turtles, because we have all this. You know, high level tag data that tells us where these animals are going, but that we don't really know what they're doing when they get to these hot spots. So, we took some of that concept from that military foundation um, and had a 360 degree um, array that would enable us to get the direction of where animals were going if we tagged them with one of these tr- special transponders. So, yeah, I started developing these tags that would go on sharks. Um, and, and, and turtles and, and whales. And we essentially created the world's most advanced Marco Polo system that would be <laughs> underwater. And so you tag That's an animal, terrible. yeah, you tag an animal and you tell the robot where the animal was in latitude and longitude. And then it would just ping that transponder and get a reply every few seconds. And the vehicle did some onboard math calculations to determine the depth uh direction and distance from the animal and then we had you know a whole uh, assembly of cameras and lights on the AUVs, along with science sensors so we were able to you know extend we look at these vehicles as, as extensions of ourselves and trying to get a snapshot into what animals are doing in the environment around them and it turned out to really surprise us all because every time you put a robot in the water as you know tim you you know you you don't necessarily answer the question that you're going for, but you find out something completely new that you
0: haven't you, thought of. That you didn't expect. Yeah. Yes,
2: and so um, that work was really a breaking point for me to to find a way to to launch a whole bunch of different science programs because for a long time, and working with Navy programs, you know, so many things are classified, so you can't talk about all the cool tech you're working on so that shark cam and turtle cam created a stage to really educate uh you know not just academics and industry but the public at large um to show people what's possible and that's been fantastic to really get things you know more um available and known to the l- local community and citizen scientists
0: well done to you, Amy. I, I remember I visited when I was, I don't know if I was an, uh, in the Navy or if I was the command one star or before that, but, um, and you had the shark cam uh, work you did was everywhere. This is, and, and then what I didn't know at the time. So, and our listeners please Google this woods hole shark cam or Amy and you'll get it up. But this, you were working off Guadalupe Island with great white sharks. Isn't that right?
2: Yes. Yeah. I know you're, you have, we recently there diving. So, you know, yeah, what it feels like to be a fish in a fishbowl, right? Where the white sharks come and visit you <laughs> and check you out in the cage.
0: Yeah. Did you get in the cage cages and dive too?
2: I did. I got in the cage. That was just like an added bonus. It wasn't necessary. That's the thing with working with AUVs. You're like, you don't get to go in the water. You send the robots in. <laughs> um, but I did get to go in and it was, I don't know. It, was a, it changed me a little bit. Um, you know, this whole idea of just aquariums and bringing like the animals to land for people to experience them. It motivated me to want to just leave the animals more in the wild and, you know, send uninvasive technology out to, you know, educate the world about what animals are doing in their, in their native habitat. And so I was, it, Yeah, it really, that cage experience changed me um, for for the better, I think.
0: Well, yes, and myself as well and for our audience. So we're talking about Guadalupe Island off Baja, California, Mexico, maybe 300 miles or less. And this is one of these few regions of the world, in addition to the Farallon Islands in South Africa, where white sharks are known to congregate at different times of the year. I earlier went on an expedition to, it was part of a 22-year time series. That uh, this nonprofit science institute called the Marine Conservation Science Institute has been conducting to monitor that population. And they you know, with, an, with, a, with a, a top apex predator, you know, they're actually identifying individuals. And there's about 420 individuals, and they've been able to track that the population has really been um, rebounding and is quite healthy and, and even moving north into the central California waters. But long story short, pretty dramatic to be in the water with these up to 20 foot great white sharks. And sometimes several individuals, magnificent footage. You'll see it if you Google short Cam. And uh, had no idea I'd be going going back into the water, uh, or eventually when I when I saw your your footage. But um, Amy, I, I have to applaud what she did to get you know a positive public attention towards Ocean Tech uh, with that effort. It was quite dramatic, and um, and so I, I and on that topic um, it is. Uh, I'm going to go to Vanessa now because part of what Vanessa is doing at Scripps uh, leverages her, her, her undergraduate major. She was a communications major at UCLA. And we've had this talk on several episodes about trying to communicate to the public, what we do and it's importance to secure further public and corporate support. And, and I know that's, so that's a, that's a really, that's what you do in your job, connecting the academia and the private sector and, Scripps relies on public support for that that to advance in that way. So I don't know if you wouldn't mind sharing with me, Vanessa, a little bit about how you apply that in your job, because everyone knows probably I always talk about my kids. My oldest daughter was a communications major just like you. Laurel was at Nova Southeastern University, and now she's in graduate school uh, for that program. So Vanessa, tell us about that. (laughs)
3: Thank you, Tim. Yes. um, I, you know, I think it's always a wonderful, uh, important skill to have. um, And I have the incredible opportunity to tell the stories of of all the incredible things that happen at Scripps, of which there are so many. Um, So I really kind of always keep that tool in my toolbox and kind of build upon that. Um, But yeah, I guess my kind of Journey into where I'm at now is a, a bit roundabout. You know, I got my communications degree undergrad at UCLA, to your point, uh, and then actually spent uh, 15 years in the biotech industry in the private sector, where I first fell in love with the intersection of science and business and really honed my skills in business development, communications, um, partly that into marketing um, to really, you know, uh, tell the story of science to. Uh, the external world um, to help them better understand um, the issues and uh, the the subject areas. So, um, and it was around the time, speaking of, of oil spills, topically uh, around uh, Deepwater Horizon, that I really had decided. You know, I was kind of uh, in the middle of my biotech career and, and had really you know done well and uh, but was feeling like I wanted to to use it to help uh, use my skill set and and expertise that I'd built in communications and in business to help improve the health of the ocean. So um, that's where I really uh, had a pivoting moment and uh, literally dove in headfirst um, to learn more about the issues facing the ocean and uh, specifically coral reefs. And I uh, moved to the Seychelles Islands on the other side of the, the world. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, in a, in a marine conservation expedition to monitor the coral reef uh, recovery after bleaching events there, uh, and which required scuba diving. And at that point, I wasn't even certified. So I wound up spending a year there um, literally getting to know uh, the, the issues facing coral reefs and tropical environments. Uh, and it was there that I completely fell in love with uh, all of, you know, diving, scientific diving, um, coral reef conservation, and fascinated by this intersection of uh, ocean health and science and how it could be done in a sustainably business uh, model type of way. Um, And that's when I found out uh, about the program at Scripps, uh, a one-year professional program, called the Masters of Advanced Studies in Marine Biodiversity and Conservation, uh, which is a, a one-year professional program for people of all backgrounds, which I can't speak highly enough. Um, and you know, there were people that had been lawyers, teachers, uh, people that were entrepreneurs, me, I had my business background, uh, came to Scripps and really were able to leverage all the resources and expertise there to get the deeper knowledge on the science of uh, ocean uh, conservation and biodiversity and um, learning about the policies and economics of it all uh, and also being able to connect with the other departments uh, at UC San Diego like the Rady School of Management where I was able to get my mini MBA and the Entrepreneurship Institute where I was able to, to learn more about entrepreneurship um, and really a uh, then also was able to complete the scientific diving program there, and and combine all those things together, and and then this position came uh, open in the industry relations and innovation team, um, and I started there uh, three years ago, and now I really get to use all that uh, skills that I've learned along the way um, to really tell the stories and give build platforms and channels for our scientists to have direct conversations with companies with startups uh, and also learn about um, entrepreneurship and the potential of commercializing their research um, to expand and, and bolster the the blue economy and, and continue to grow the workforce in this space.
0: Well, Vanessa, that was great. I appreciate you sharing all that with us because uh, I wanted to highlight, I have so many interesting and qualified guests on my shows, but you were you a great one to bring on because here you are with your masters from Scripps and a scientific diver um, certification and your entrepreneur certificate and your MBA, you're just like a blue economy superhuman. And I, so it's just great to have you on our show. Um, so thank you.
3: <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having
0: me. Of course. Now, I, uh, I'm having a lot of fun here, but uh, in this mini series I've had uh, over the last four episodes now, um, I wanted to make a point because we're talking about leading women wave makers, To ask our guests, and so I'm going to begin with you, Layla, if you don't mind sharing with me, you've had a a very successful career. Here you are, um, Associate Vice President for Research at a a major university on the Gulf Coast, leading all sorts of scientific endeavors. You mentioned aquaculture and robotics, and it's just thrilled that you had your own lab for a time. You were just at sea. Uh, Was that part of your lab's work, by the way, Layla?
1: It it was, and uh, the work we were doing was actually um, connected to the Deepwater Horizon spill. Um, that's that's a bit of research that um, we had not, you know, been engaged in um, super deeply in the last you know four or so years. Um, but we were we we had just spent about the. My group is still out there. I We did a, a crew exchange and I came off the boat, but I did earlier this month spend 11 days sitting pretty much right atop the final resting place of the Deepwater Horizon drilling platform. So I, I still am very much involved in, in doing at-sea uh, research. It's becoming a little harder and harder to get out there, uh, but listening to Amy and Vanessa talk about swimming in a you know a cage with a... Uh, great white sharks around them and and moving you know across the world to live on an island I, I realized that this is not a bad thing that I, I really do need to uh, keep a little bit of that excitement in my life so that I can keep up with the two of them
0: <laughs> that's good you're so gracious but uh, that's well, wonderful and then this is great because you so you're still going you're still at sea practicing your science and you've had, and, and, but you're, you're also straddling that with your major leadership role. And my, what I wanted to ask you, though, is here you are, and I know, I know this from my experience, from my wife's experience in the Navy, that uh, it, in ocean science, it, it hasn't, it's not been long that women had such a presence. And it was, it was hard for many to, uh, I think, break out. And uh, my next episode is going to be on Mary Sears, the famous naval oceanographer who did, made great contributions during World War II and she was a pioneer in this or very few if any women were in the field and so what's your experience been like in, in terms of was it difficult at first did you have to break any barriers and and if you could offer any advice for young aspiring women in marine science we'd love to hear it
1: yeah um you know thanks for uh, proposing a great conversation piece to to the group of us and and I'm you know, I'm I'm hoping to hear the advice that, that both Amy and Vanessa have here because um, getting advice and and maintaining um, a posture of growth in marine science um, is is really important. I think it's important for women, but I think it's also important um, for for everyone. And you know, my my experience as a marine scientist um, has. You know, has always been as a woman, and and that has shaped a lot of my interactions in the field, um, but especially a lot of the interactions that I've had in in the um, offshore environment. And I, I have had this wonderful gift in my career to be able to go um, to see a lot, maybe not a lot as much as some of my colleagues, but I have. When I totaled up the numbers, uh, one of my one of my colleagues here at USM gave me a spreadsheet to kind of track how much time I've spent at sea. And it's been over a year, the collective um, cruises, the collective, you know, days. Wow. Yeah. Um, I felt really good when I, you know, I turned the corner on, on those 365 uh, days. And a lot of the time that I've spent it has also been in the role of, of chief scientist, but that certainly wasn't the case at the beginning of my career. And it was not uncommon at the beginning of my career to be the only woman on board that's in terms of the, both the crew and the science party um at the beginning you know i can remember times where um at, for lack of a better word i was a, somewhat of a curiosity um yeah. you know, yes. espe- especially when you know i or my female colleagues would be working just as hard as everyone else on the board uh, on board of the yeah. ship that, that that was a curiosity and um you know i i didn't let it get in my way but it sometimes could get it get in your head and um a lot of the work that i do now at sea is is trying to make that not the case for the the next generation of scientists um and in this, for you, yeah it's it's um it's a it's a gift to be able to have that kind of position and in this last trip that I was on, I was out there with my co-chief scientist, uh, Dr. Amanda Demopoulos. Um, she she works at at USGS. Um, she's an incredible scientist and a generally all around really good human being. And she and I, you know, connected on this idea that we're not going to be doing this forever. Um, we won't be leading scientific expeditions forever, and that it's really our job to be handing this off. Um, to the next generation of of scientists, not just of women but persons of color, and making sure that the shipboard environment is is welcoming um, and in a place that we would want to be, because I can share that not every um, ship that I've been on, and you know and every research team I've been on has been a place that I've wanted to be, and I would love to see to see that that change. Um, One thing that you asked was, you know, any advice that I have for, um, you know, other uh, female scientists, especially folks in in their early career. Um, Don't try to be anybody else. It took me a long time to figure that out. Um, I had this experience when I was, um, I was chiefing my first ROV mission and I, you know, had this, this tidal wave of imposter syndrome and i was trying to think of how would somebody else do this you know so and so would would be you know stern in this space and and after a couple of days i realized it wasn't working it it wasn't helping me be a good leader and and that's a philosophy that i take into every activity that i have to be my myself you know and and being yourself in your science and in your leadership roles it, it helps you tap into your places of happiness and joy. And when we are happy in our work, we do really good work and we support our institutions and our stakeholders and the people um, that are doing the science as well. So that's, that's my, you know, it's kind of corny advice to be yourself, um, but you have to, and you have to let yourself grow and change and, um, and have the courage to do both of those things, especially when you're working offshore.
0: Absolutely, so well said. Uh, I just that resonates with me in every way, Layla. You know, I learned too that uh, in leadership, and I think um, leaders are just aren't the people in charge. I think everybody is has an opportunity to lead, even the most junior deckhand. And uh, and, and a critical, I think, aspect of leadership is authenticity, and people know it when you're not. And and I think that's right. Be yourself is such good advice, and be confident in yourself and who you are. Uh, that, was, that was terrific. Thank you so much. Well, let's go to Amy. Um, I, same question for you, Amy. Uh, you've, I couldn't believe you've been at Woods Hole for 21 years. It's time flies, I guess, when you're having fun. But you've accomplished a great deal, and I, uh, and I, I want to say how much I admire you and what you've done, because we've been in the same fields. And, and, but then, you know, it's, it's challenging. You're an engineer, and, and, and I know women, you have this engineer girl uh, 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 web, uh, website, you, you received an award that I saw, I guess, engineer girls like a publication, this uh, Linda Morse Porteous Award. And I would like you to, to tell us what that is, but then also share your thoughts about how it's been for you. And uh, was that a journey? And uh, was it easy or not? And what you advice you would give for other young aspiring women engineers?
2: yeah thanks thanks tim important topic and and Layla I think that I mean you hit it spot on I agree with everything you said and you know made the the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I think it's just bottle what Layla said and and have every uh young woman listen to that because it's it's sound advice um but yeah I you yeah, know it has it hasn't been easy it it's um when I first started out i mean I was young and just filled with curiosity and passion and had major blinders on and um, you know, I think in retrospect, like the experience of, you know, being again, like Layla, like the only woman, um, you know, on the dock and, and sort of standing out, but not seeing in real time that you were different. And it's as you get older and more, you know, more and wiser, you start to realize that you are under a microscope. And I think that really ultimately gives you a superpower, though, because you have to work smarter, you know, not necessarily harder and and to gain street cred. Um, And over time, if you try to keep those blinders on and just keep your eyes on what it is that you're trying to achieve and stick, you know, stay true to yourself, like Layla said. And then ultimately, it's not just about you. um, It's about who comes after you. And, you know, we're all paving the the ground together and, and trying to make it easy for who comes next. And I think that as I become mid-career and I think about all the challenges, it's like every day we suit up and we put on, you know, our our superhero costume, and um, we just we get out there. and it, And the world is it's big and it's full of people who are looking for inspiration. And I think that's what gets me out of bed every day. And you know, the Linda Morse Porteus Award is it's a Hui it's a prestigious award at hooey. um, and I was uh, really honored to receive it and, sur- and surprised and, and it's, you know, dedicating a career or, to discovery um, and serving, you know, as a role model uh, to other women. And, you know, I, I, I have to say of all the things, you know, in my career, I think that was a really touching moment that you're just doing, you know, you're getting up every day and you're doing your job, but you're not doing it to like win awards. Um, so I think, you know, for advice, um, for everybody who comes after us, it's, you know, to definitely think about what your true passion is and don't let any, anybody, um, compromise, um, what it is that you set yourself out to do. Um, because you know, it's, it's your life to live and, and we all can make a positive impact and there's so much hard work that needs to be done and we just need um to find people around us who are supportive and can be our champions and know that we can't do it alone. So um, you know, and Wood's hole is full of community of people who are supportive. And I'm really thankful to be on this show and and and, and meet Vanessa and Layla and um we're both talking about Deepwater Horizon and oil spill science. And so I have a lot of questions for you both, so I, I look forward to catching up with everybody after this podcast.
0: Oh, that's so good to hear! I think that my favorite thing about this uh, series I've, I've had is a connecting my guests, who might who all never knew each other before, but uh, they're all they're all doing that now, and so that's great. Great to hear, Amy. Great advice, and I, and I really like that you you won this award for being a role model for others, and I think that's that's a there's that is a really. Um, an important aspiration and uh, an example to follow uh, well good and so vanessa um finishing with you at scripps and leading Scripps' corporate engagement so you and you have this history in business that you share with us and i, I think it's similar to marine science and engineering that um you know it, it, it more and more women are leading companies and and have leadership roles in the corporate world but that has not always been the case and now here you are representing scripts to to businesses, and um, I would bet that you may probably interact with more men than women in those businesses. Maybe not. I don't know, but love for you to tell us about that and what, what it is. How has your experience been as a woman in this sector, and what advice would you give for the young ones listening right now who want to be you?
3: Thanks, Tim. And I first want to recognize what Leila and Amy both said and just say, I appreciate the advice you gave and, and echo it too. And I, it's just good to always hear that because I don't think we all hear it enough. So I think it's wonderful that you're asking these questions and I really appreciate being part of this group. And. Uh, definitely you know in the business world and biotech and the blue economy there are there's only room for growth in women leadership uh, and yes. I, I, I appreciate the the strides that Layla and Amy and all the others um, predecessors have made uh, I feel incredibly lucky to work at a place that was founded by a woman Ellen Browning Scripps. so And that was in the early 1900s when that was pretty much unheard of. So, and what's one of the cool things about being at Scripps is that there always is a reminder. I actually work in like the original building that was built in 1910 that has her old office. Oh,
0: lucky you. I love that place. Yes.
3: Yeah, it's so cool. And I give tours about, you know, daily now that we're back in person. So, um, and I, you know, I have so many, I work under so many incredible female leaders, starting with Dr. Margaret Leinen, who is the director of Scripps. and vice chancellor for marine sciences.
0: I am a big fan of Margaret. Yes.
3: Oh my gosh, she's incredible and she is a huge champion and always is promoting and prioritizing equity, diversity and inclusion at Scripps and beyond in the fields of geoscience and oceanography. So, I mean, that is on her, you know, topic of discussion daily if not weekly um, you know she's a champion for all of us and kathleen ritzman who i also work for the associate director of marine sciences at uh, uc san diego has been at Scripps for 30 years plus and leading the charge on the federal front so uh, i just feel so lucky to be working for such amazing role model Uh, female leaders, uh, something I actually never really found in my previous career in biotech.
0: Oh, yeah, that's important.
3: Yeah. And I feel uh, as far as advice, you know, I just say... echoing what Amy and Layla have said, but just to continue to encourage to, to young women want to make a waves in the blue economy to dive in, take the plunge and find out about all the opportunities available. I feel like now is such a great time between being part of the, the time in the UN decade of ocean science, having more attention and support financially from federal, state, right. private sectors, um, really looking to, to expand the opportunities and support businesses and technologies And conservation programs in the blue economy. There are so many incredible resources available, no matter what your background and your skill set. To Amy and Layla's points, like, don't imposter syndrome is real. And I think everybody struggles with it, especially if you don't have the textbook. Kind of, you know, CV that a lot of people in ocean science have, uh, like I don't. <laughs> um, I kind of had a roundabout type way, but I think, you know, your uniqueness and whatever skill sets and expertise you've built is valuable in some application in this space. Um, and even as an example, the Start Blue Accelerator, you know, we've had one cohort of teams, seven teams that finished, and we're just about to launch the next. And we had half of our teams uh, from last year were founded by females. And this year we have a third of them. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, and this is a, a program that is no cost. Um, All you need to do is have a a presence in the San Diego region. But I know that there's blue tech ocean accelerators that are popping up around the country, around the world um, that offer similar opportunities and are looking to to be more inclusive and uh, diverse in uh, their scope. So, um, you know, if any of us or I know myself can can be of help to anyone, uh, I encourage you to reach out um i have just received so much support along the way so i would be happy to provide that to anyone else and i think mentors as well is another thing i would give advice and find a female mentor that you uh respect in the field um who can offer up some good advice and and support
0: well that was just a great way to conclude such an energizing and uplifting episode vanessa so please everybody uh, thank our guests for joining us we had Professor Layla Hamden from the University of Southern Mississippi and Amy Kukulia from Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute and Vanessa Scott from Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Um, Thank you everyone that was just such an awesome show in this latest episode of the American Blue Economy podcast where we had three leading women wave makers in the American Blue Economy. I want to thank our sponsors American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today If you'd like to sponsor a future show, please contact Tyler Buckingham at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com or go to the coastalnewstoday.com website and click on advertising. So please join us in October, where I will be interviewing Dr. Kate Musumichi, who is the author of the book Lethal Tides, which is a biography of Mary Sears, a pioneering naval oceanographer who made great contributions during World War II and some of that excellent science which helped our nation win and prevail in that conflict, which eventually came around and has been supporting so many of our blue economy advances. This is your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, CEO of Ocean STL Consulting. Thank you for joining us, shipmates. I look forward to getting underway with you next time.